This is our foundation scripture. It says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not conceited, it does not act improperly, it is not selfish, it is not provoking, it does not keep a record of wrongs. And then I like what Luke 6, 27 says, but I say to you, love your enemies, do what is good to those who hate you. And I want to talk tonight about, next week we're going to talk about something different along the lines, but the, but the reaction and the action of being hurt or done wrong by somebody and how love responds. And, and Jesus is actually saying here in Luke, he said, but I say to you who listen, that he is mentioning it's got to be somebody that, whose heart is open to uh, what God is, the spirit of God is saying. And I can promise you that the majority of the time that I find my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions in trouble are the times that my heart is not listening. That the, the times in my life where there's turmoil inside of Jonathan are the times that I have closed the ears of my heart to what God is saying because what God says is almost uh, counterintuitive and the opposite of what I want to do. Because God says, uh, love your enemies. It's easy for me to love somebody I like and enjoy being around and, and like who they are, but somebody that is an enemy, somebody that is against me, as that word implies, it is hard for me to fathom that God would want me to love them, that it goes on to say, to do good to those who not just are not fond of you or uh, just don't really like you. It says, do good to those who hate you. That's a power-packed revelation. Because by nature, I don't want to do good to those who hate me. By nature, I don't have, I don't have it in my will or in my motivation that somebody that hates me, that I want to do good. I don't want good coming their way, what I tend to want, I want justice coming their way. And that's funny how love, and everybody, you know, says, is God a God of love? Is he, his name is love. Should we walk in love? Should we operate in love? But I don't think that I fully fathom or fully comprehend the depths to which that call has been made over our lives when we are to walk in love and that the, the pinnacle of walking in love is to give somebody that I think needs justice to give them love instead. Justice benefits me, love reflects the heart of God. Even though justice might feel good to me to see, to see that person get what they deserve, that they made their bed and now they're going to sleep in it, that they had what was coming to them, that they sowed the wind and they reaped the whirlwind. Even though justice gives me a temporary benefit, it is not in alignment with what God calls us to do, but God calls us to reflect his heart in love. Jesus often found himself with the worst of society. That we would think that, and I believe Jesus had many good friends, and I believe that he was surrounded by people that he enjoyed being with. But he was notorious for finding himself surrounded by the good-for-nothings. 
In Mark 2.15, it said, And while he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were guests with Jesus and his disciples. Because Why? Because there were many that were following him. I'm going to jump ahead just here in a second. But there was something about people that were outwardly wrong by tax collecting and being crooked and just just people that were sinners, people that just had failed outwardly and overly and over again. And where is Jesus? We find him right smack dab in the middle of them. And I have this feeling that Jesus being in the middle of them is not this person that is saying, sit around, guys, because we're going to talk about all the things that you are doing wrong. I have this tremendous, tremendous inclination that Jesus is sitting around a bunch of people that were out crooked and undone and with a smile on his face and joy in his heart he's ministering life to them that he's taking the love of God and that was shed abroad in his heart by the Holy Spirit and pouring it out over them and when the scribes and the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors they asked his disciples why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners when Jesus heard this you're stupid if you think you're going to try to you know, talk about Jesus and he's sitting right there. Told them, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do need one. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. That Jesus makes this model uh, life and steps out and finds the worst of humanity and gets right in the middle of them. Are you drawn like me? When I walk into a room of people that I may not know the majority of them, I will migrate and gravitate to people that I like or know. And maybe at some point I'll make my way around and, and find, uh, meet other people, but I don't normally gravitate to people that I don't know, much less people that are outwardly wrong. When somebody, when somebody deliberately or recklessly and or recklessly does me wrong, there is an underlying reason that I should be sensitive to. That when I am done wrong, that I have a choice and a, uh, a dichotomy of decisions at that point to decide what is going on in this situation if my response is, Colton, you've come down and help me with something. If my response is that I can either choose to walk in love with that person, I'm going to describe this more in just a second, or I'm going to plan on walking in injustice and making sure they get what they deserve. So I asked Colton to come up here because he's just a very reputable young man, and I just like to bring him on stage. I really don't have any other reason but just to tell him to come on stage, even though I do enjoy having... Good thing I brought a towel with me. I have no other good words to say about you. Got my notes wet and everything. Who was expecting that? Liz was, because she heard me tell him what I wanted him to do. She's back there. He's going to spit on him. I got to clean my glasses for a second. Have you ever felt like you did nothing wrong to somebody and they just spit on you? 
Maybe they didn't physically spit on you. You can obviously see the effects of spit. It was actually water, guys. I mean, he, he wanted to do a loogie. I was like, no, Colton, that's nasty. Just see some of your loogie going, going to, oh, no, none of that. No. Plus, I can preach like in, you know, the old church mothers now. Glory, glory. No, I'm just kidding. That was to dry my glasses. But have you ever had somebody spit on you? And they walked away, and you were still left with the effects of their spit. This is the crazy thing. Have you ever been spit on, and that person never realized that they spit on you? Let's take it a step further. Have you ever been spit on? You've got it on my shoes. (laughs) You've been spit on, and that person doesn't even care that they spit on you. Have you ever told somebody, you know what, you did me wrong, and there was no repentance with them, there was no turning of their decision, there was no uh, I'm sorry or nothing. As a matter of fact, they just went on their merry way while you had to stand there wet with their spit on you. Obviously, I'm speaking figuratively, but we find this, that hurt people hurt people. Now, I may be standing here right now wet with the decision of somebody all over me, but I have to also take into consideration and context that I don't know what the actions of that person were to that they decided to hurt me or do something wrong in my direction, but I do have a, a, a reaction that I don't necessarily have to respond to the fact that I've been spit upon. I've had a few things lately that just have... Have you ever just had things that just didn't go your way? Let's, let me ask you this. Have you ever had people in your life that they did not do what you wanted them to do? Don't point. <laughs> Everybody's like, mm-hmm, right down there, I'm still mad at you. <laughs> and I've had these situations recently that... Uh, If I maybe told you my side of it and the details that affected me, you would agree, "Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you've been been done wrong, Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I'll I'll be be praying down hell on that person, at least least two or three hemorrhoids, something bad on them. (laughs) Let me tell you what has happened to me recently when I have been done wrong on a two or three, maybe inconsequential, but stuff that if I shared it with you, you'd be like, yeah, that's, uh, that ain't right. And let me tell you how the Lord has been dealing with me on that. To pray over them like never before. To wish good and well over them like never before. Do you want to know what my response has been to all of that? I don't want to, Lord. No. No, I am tired, Lord. And I've even said this. I am tired of being wronged, having stuff done to me that I did not enjoy or did not be thrilled to go through. And when I come to my reaction that you don't console or side with me or tell me how wrong I've been, but you start dealing with my heart when it was them that did something wrong to me. Am I the only one that that's ever happened to? I'm like, why am I the one who is having my heart dealt with when I was the one that was done improper? 
And it is so funny that God takes a situation that we have legal cause to be mad, vengeful, ticked off, you name it, and he deals with us about the condition of our heart on what somebody else did to to us. We find that God is way more interested in fixing me than anyone else that I think needs fixing. And I put fixing in there. Because I could, I don't want to pray well over them. I don't want to pray God's favor and grace. I don't want to pray for them, period. <laughs> but the people that I think that, God, I want you to fix them. That God turns that scalpel on me and says, let's fix you. And I'm like any good preschooler. No, I don't want to. That hurts too much. And isn't it ironic and funny how God deals with that? And I, I'm getting this title from this book here called Love Does, which is written by a God, guy named Bob Goff. And he actually is a public speaker. He's not really a pastor or anything. He's, public. He's actually a lawyer. His profession is law. And maybe I'll, next week I'll show you a clip. I've been looking for a clip to show you. He's hysterical. He's, the, he's probably in his 60s or so forth. He is crazy. And wrote this book, Love Does. It's the only book he's ever written. And it's a New York Times bestseller. Only book he's written. Writes this book, Love Does. He has clients come meet him in his law practice and in his consulting. And he's from uh, California. And they go to Treasure Island. He has, hmm, he has his office at what, what is Treasure Island? Disney something over there? What is it? Does anybody know? Tre they say he's had like the uh, officials from Africa come and meet with him. The Supreme Court of Uganda has come to the United States and met with Bob Goff. And from the airport, he says, will you be taking me to your office? He says, no, better yet, I'm taking you to my pirate ship. He has his office in a pirate ship. And he writes this ridiculous book that the very first story ticked me off. Because I'm thinking that's not how I would have responded to that. And he is showing that love is not based on what happens to me. Love is a reaction, a response, and a reflection of God. Here's one of his rules. He just, oh, he makes me so mad. I, I hate him, but I love him at the same time. I, mean, I need to show you a clip. He's just crazy. He's hysterical. He doesn't talk bad about people. I love to talk bad about people. And if you want to listen to me talk bad about people, I love you. <laughs> Do you know what he does? Of course, he's immensely wealthy, but if he talks bad about somebody and catches himself, he says, you know what? Why am I talking about that person? He, the ne very next time he's at his checkbook, writes out a $500 check and mails it to him. That'll get your attention real quick when you're talking trash about somebody. And you're like, oh, I'm about to write them a $500 check. Which I'd be great. I was like, talk bad about me. All you want. Let me give you some ammo. <laughs> but when he catches himself... I was listening to a, 
a, a message that he did at a church in Georgia. He said, ah, the Lord dealt with me. And this is how he talks. Ah, the Lord dealt with me. Talking bad about people. Talking bad about people. He said, Bob, you talk bad about people, it's going to cost you. He said, how much is it going to cost me, Lord? 500 bucks every time. Ha <laughs> ha. He laughs like that. Kind of sounds like Diggity from, or Dugan from Kids Church. Ha! Every time I talk bad about somebody, ha, I gotta go write them a $500 check. I'd be cussing with every single pen stroke. <laughs> there is a difference between reacting in love and letting people walk all over you. This series is not some indication that we just are a doormat to everybody. Next week, I'm gonna talk about what we actually do when we're done wrong. But this is not an, that we just let everybody just be, uh, you, you know, our, our, our whipping person, but it is the reaction that we have. When I react in love, I am most like Jesus. Who in this place would not say, I want to be like Jesus? Everybody would say that. And we are most like him when we react in love. Walking in love removes the emotional and the mental baggage that tries to attach itself to my heart. This is why Jesus said, I'm getting ahead to next week's message, but this is why Jesus says, pray for those who hate you because it's the action of the prayer for somebody that has done you wrong that takes the attachment that tries to get to your heart and emotions and severs its connection to you. A big part of this life is what I let attach itself to me and what I let slide off of me. Have you ever heard this, 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 this statement, like water off a duck's back? I, I don't know about you, but there are some times when I am, you know, just in the zone and I've been done wrong and people are irritating me that I am a do-wrong hoarder. You did me wrong. I didn't like your attitude here. I can't stand the way you said that to me. I ticked off that you would even ignore me, that I've done good things to you and you act like a little heathen to me. Huh. And God has been dealing with me that everything that you hoard will attach itself to your heart and everything that you've been done wrong, if you let it slide off like water off a duck's back, it doesn't have the opportunity to attach itself. Because Matthew 6, 21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we've talked about that with money. That's not necessarily money. It's a myriad of things. But where my treasure is, if I treasure, let me say it another way, if I put value on what is irritating me or been done wrong to me or... Um, that I don't, don't approve of, if my treasure is in the implication of all that stuff, then guess what? There is my heart. 
If I choose to waller around in the muck and the mire of what people do that I have no control over, if I choose to waller around in the muck and the mire of that, then my heart will be in the center of that as well. But the Word of God says, if I choose to pray for my enemies and wish good for those who hate me, then my heart is in the middle of the response that Jesus would have. Keeping a record of wrong done toward me says more about the condition of my heart than whatever has been done wrong toward me. Have you ever been talking to somebody and they're telling you they did this and then they did this and then they did this and then this is usually after a, a breakup of a relationship and then they did this and then you're like, oh, whew, tell me no more. Oh, man, you should have been done with them a long time ago. That's too much. Oh, girl, that, that's too much. It's too, too much. It's the double O and two of too much. Why? Because that's what we have rehearsed in us. That's what we have hoarded toward us. And all of those lists of what has been done wrong and ill toward me is, a more, is more of a reflection on the condition of my heart than it is a reflection on what's been done wrong to me. Philippians 12, 2 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And the implication is there that you're enough of a mess to be a full-time job. I know, because my tendency is, you got this together. I'm not that bad at this. I got this together. But let me tell you some messed up, screwed up, irritating people. And God is saying, no, Jonathan, you are a full-time mess in my eyes. Well, I don't want to hear that, Lord. <laughs> Bill Johnson, pastor of Bethel in Reading, talks about when people get irritated with him because Famous ministers mess up or people that have come out of Bethel or out of Reading have messed up that are connected to, to the, that church and Bethel and all that Jesus generates, Jesus, genera Jesus culture and uh, all those things that are connected to what has happened there in California. And he said, people get irritated with me because he doesn't openly come out and slam people that have messed up. He said people that have been outwardly, either they committed adultery or they stole from the church or they've gone into, to, uh, what do you call it, her, her, heretical views and, and uh, with scripture. I mean, just crazy stuff. I mean, I'm sure that they have run the gauntlet on whacked out crazy people. And he said, and when I don't get up and publicly slam them, people get mad at me. And, said the, and I finally started telling people don't expect me to get up and publicly slam people that have come out of this ministry or connected to this ministry. He says this, because I know that I have seen in their life at one point or another the presence of God. And he said this, I am, and he said it just like this, I am scared to death to speak against that presence. I should give others the same grace that the Lord gives me. What? I quickly forget the good that people do toward me. 
I don't like this message, and I wrote it. I easily remember the wrong that's been done to me. Okay, let's dismiss. I've had enough of this. <laughs> Taylor, if you'll come on down, you can go read in John in just a second or later on, but I'm not going to get to that passage in John. Ephesians 2.8 says, For you have been saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is a gift from God. Okay. And if we could take the entirety of our life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the whole kit and caboodle of everything that we are and place it in front of us that the message of the scripture says it's all a gift. Every single breath is a gift. That we tend to get into a place where we can tell all the wrong and all the faults and all the missteps of people and the whole while God is saying do you not understand Jonathan that the entirety of your existence is by my mercy and my grace to you and this whole this next verse takes on whole new meaning not from works so that no one can boast that I am not able to say that I am better than someone else by the reasoning of I have it more together than they do. And let me tell you that the places where my life is put together and theirs is a mess because the scripture says that my life is a gift and the reason that the Lord made it as a as gift is that so that I could not boast in any of it because I deserved none of it, created none of it, had nothing to do with it, that it is all by His mercy. For we are His creation, created in Christ to do good works which He has prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them your last feeling, the enemy wants to paralyze your heart and emotions by you dwelling on what has been done wrong to you. That the enemy will not come tempt me with pot, Ben, 420. I have no desire to smoke weed. I would not know where to find it. Let's start with that. Oh, don't come up to me and tell me. Let me tell you where you find it. You're going to go. <laughs> I have no desire to drink. None. I don't. I, you know, I'd probably be a happy drunk, but I don't want to find out. I have zero desire to find out. Those aren't the ways the enemy comes. And for most of us, they aren't the ways that he comes. But for the believer, the, 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 the most popular way that the enemy comes is he comes with offense. 
And his, and his thing is not so he can get at us to offend us and to have wrong done to us or just jab at us. His, his motivation is to paralyze our hearts and our emotions. Because if he can paralyze our hearts and our emotions and our thoughts, if he can paralyze those and lock them into that offense, then he can walk away and the job is done. How many of you know people that have struggled for years with stuff that has been done wrong to them in their childhood? That's not by accident. Even though we live in a fallen world, it's by design that the enemy would take those offenses and cause us to live in that and then just walk away with the work being done. But aren't you glad that love does not allow us to stay in that condition? And like love did not allow me to retaliate when I wanted to. To pick up the phone. You know, I told people, I'll wait till I make this phone call. I'm serious. I'll wait till I make this phone call. And you know what the Lord told me? Hang up the phone. Don't even dial the number. And I was like, but I want to. He said, no, you're not. Not only are you not going to call them, you're going to pray and bless them. So then I'm going to tweet about it. <laughs> and all the things that we... <laughs> I'm going to disguise it in a tweet. Hashtag it with take back your joy and slam a few people around. <laughs> I really do believe in take back your joy. That's a whole other message. 